monkey business, all this and more on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. A new budget-minded sound card for old PCs. It's easier to destroy than to create. Happy birthday, Atari. You're 50 years old today. The genesis of Windows. All this and more on This Week in Retro. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Um, you got enough drinks and enough stuff to, to wet your whistle with you, Dave, before we start recording? What you got? I've got a nice can of Coke Zero. Can of Ice Coke? Ice cold Coke Zero. Nice. Yep. I've got some water and I've got some wine. Not as much as I'd like to have with me, but sometimes... So uh, people get very angry if they don't have everything they're expecting, but sometimes it's nice to have something rather than nothing, I always say. On a completely unrelated note, you'll notice that Neil's not with us this week, and that's because he's getting married on the uh, on the 6th. He would have got married to Lilia, but uh, Dave, I believe you know more about that, don't you? So you're, you're very chummy with Neil. <clears throat> so congratulations to Nilly. Nilly? Nilly? <laughs> yes, Nilly. Nilly Elephant. They've combined names now. They've become one, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to Neil and Lily. Um, they've been together for a while now. Um, they're getting married on the 6th, so this is after this has been recorded. But um, by the time you hear this, um, unless you're Duncan, the producer, by the time you hear this, they will be married. Um, it's a small uh, it's a small ceremony. Um, it's an intimate wedding. It's, it's not a, a great big thing. Um Lily has been very supportive of Neil over the years. It was Lily that encouraged Neil to go in and do the whole the whole project, the whole RMC project. So, without Lily, this 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 wouldn't happen. This this podcast wouldn't happen either. Um, so, congratulations to Neil and Lily. Hope the wedding goes great, and um, we will see Neil next week when he returns. It's our intention to produce this week in retro as often as we can without skipping weeks. And that's why we're here this week, even though Neil's not here. We now have three permanent hosts. Uh, and if it's not obvious, I'm the third one. <laughs> um, we hope to always have two of those available, uh, usually three, and possibly a guest from time to time. You notice we had uh, Ravi last week from the Retro Hour, aka DG Formula. Uh, we've got more guests coming. Uh, we've got more guests booked in. We've got more coming. Um, I also want to thank you all for the kind words since I've come on. Uh, lots of you have said some very nice and confidence-boosting things that I'm really quite humbled by it all and, and direct messages and comments and so on. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's really cool. And, yeah, you've, you're doing a great job, Dave. And, <laughs> well, I think we both feel fairly new at this still, don't we? But, uh, yeah, seems to seems to be ticking along, so so it's all good. But th there is a fourth member of the team. Let's not forget uh, producer Duncan, who does a fantastic job. I put some thanks in the comments of the YouTube version just the other week. Um, but that really was heartfelt. That wasn't for the sake of it, you know, or something that we do to pat each other on the back. Duncan puts such a hard, you know, puts the hard yards in. You know, we get together and have a laugh, you know, for an hour once a week, and then he has to sort it out and actually make a watchable or you know listenable episode out of out of our mess. So yeah, thank you very much, Duncan. Keep up the great work. Now for a little bit of bonus information, Eringus points out that the the basic parts of three D Monster Maze are just a loader for the rest of it, which is in <gasps> fact machine code so neil wow. was wrong so dial back a little bit neil will not now be back on the show he's sacked yeah yeah i've never made a mistake on the show 
<laughs> never mention be a little... never mention the yeah. Evercade episode ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus information is never a correction. And alas, some bad news. Uh, Castardo has let us know that Flamis Fidcock, uh, mentioned by Ravi last week, passed away a few weeks after a short illness. Um, Ravi mentioned him uh, because he's a big part of the MSX scene um, in the Netherlands. Uh, he interviewed him on the Retro Hour. Uh, he wrote for magazines and Ravi described him as a, as a warm and welcoming guy. Um, we were not aware um, that when we recorded that he had already passed away. Mm, very sad. On with the first story, um, a new budget-minded sound card for old PCs. Now, to get the right sound from DOS gaming with real hardware, you need to have an ISA sound card. A lot of us got by with PCI sound cards back in the day with DOS drivers and so on, but it's not the right sound. Or we got by with ISA sound cards which didn't really have the right stuff on them, and they were compatible but not actually equivalent. And on top of all that, these cars were made cheaply. They competed on specifications rather than the end result, the end quality. So you bought a Sound Blaster compatible and you got the cheapest usually. You just bought the cheapest one that listed it could do the job. Or if you really wanted, you got the genuine thing. But the market at that time wasn't really there for the higher quality stuff. Maybe the, the Gravis Ultrasound that we talked about last week, maybe that's a bit higher quality than the, the, the Sound Blasters. After a few years, it wasn't everything you needed. So um, you got a Sound Blaster or a compatible. And it was only really after DOS gaming in the kind of late 98 and then the XP era, era that um, sound quality really did start to matter and you got some premium stuff um, starting to get towards, but maybe not quite audiophile grade, but certainly home hi-fi grade type thing. Uh, but back in DOS times, things were a lot more janky. These days, though, many retro fans, particularly like myself, like a premium experience, the luxury stuff we couldn't get back in the day, or even better than what you get back in the day. And there's a new card being released, and while it's less expensive than the amazing Orpheus card, it's still miles better than what we had back in the day. I think calling it budget is maybe selling it a little bit short, a little bit misleading, uh, because from what I've read about it and what I've seen, the quality of the components, the board layout, etc., it's not going to feel budget. Um, Chris, how do you feel about premium and luxury in your retro gaming? Yeah, it's in interesting because obviously uh, most of my retro gaming is in terms of things like the Amiga, the Acon Electron, the Spectrum and stuff. So this doesn't come into play. The only PC um, uh, retro rig that I've got at the moment is an IBM Aptiva AMD K62450 running Windows 98. So it's a wonderful machine. Um, it, it has an onboard, I think it's a Sound Blaster clone. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember what chip it, it is running in it. Um and it's also got a Voodoo 3, kind of donated by Rich himself, in fact. But So it's, it's a great machine, um, but obviously this doesn't fit into the ISA era at all. Um, and the only other one I've got is I've got a Pentium 4 Windows XP rig as well, sitting right under the desk beside me here. So neither of those fit into the ISA, uh, ISA era. Well, they're firmly in PCI and even AGP eras in terms of you know graphic slots. My first ever PC, though, was an Amstrad PC2386DX65. And yes, all those numbers should be there. Why they did those, that numbering, I don't know. PC2386. 
386. How confusing is that? DX65. So it's actually a 386DX with a 65 um, meg hard drive is what that was. And I'm pretty sure from memory, you opened up the side of the case. You didn't have to take the whole case apart. There was a, a trap door in the side that you opened up to get to the slots. And I'm pretty sure they were all ISA. There was no PCI there in would there. would be, yeah. Yeah, yeah, at the time. There would be, um, But the only, the only cards I, I sat in that was, um, first of all, a games card because it didn't have a joystick port. And then pulled that out and put my, you know, Creative Lab Sound Blaster in there. So it's the only thing I had back in the day. I do actually have a 386DX build planned for later on this year though thanks to a mate here in perth called stuart so looking forward to that um what would i put in it well again because of my, my hobby is nostalgia driven i would actually go for a sound blaster clone or, or you know a, 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 an original um isa sound blaster to recreate that experience but once i've done that i think i would be open to something like this um or even the gus we were talking about the other day just to experience how games should have sounded now that i've come to learn more about that do you know what i mean yeah yeah um so the card we're talking about is uh the mk8330 so the m and k stand for the creators of the card uh marmes and Caropi, which is ed from portugal and leo from greece and this isn't their first rodeo They've made the, the Orpheus card, which Neil covered on RMC, which is probably the best card you can get for DOS gaming at the moment. And this is a lower price alternative to it. But I want to be clear, it's by no means a budget DOS gaming card. If you don't want to spend as much as that, you can pick up something like a, a Yamaha-based card for maybe 30 quid or $40. And a Yamaha-based card will have a, a real OPL3 in it, so it'll sound good. Uh, it'll do all you need to do for kind of Sound Blaster Pro compatible. Um, but it will have all the thinking, noise, etc. Uh, and this card's much better than that. It, it will, it's much cleaner too. You won't get the thinking noise. It's a much higher quality um, thing. Now, I ordered the Orpheus base and what was said about it on the Vogons forum, uh, which is which where um, these projects tend to start. And I'm delighted with my Orpheus. It's fantastic. So when it went when this went up for orders last week, Reese did uh, a thorough review of it, and the initial batch sold out completely. Um, Karopi did say a new batch is coming, I think pretty soon, so he's going to be missing the lovely Greek summer while he's stuck indoors with his soldering iron. Um, the card itself is Windows Sound System 2.0 compatible, Sound Blaster 16, Sound Blaster Pro, Sound Blaster 2 and AdLib. Um, it's got a one-to-one -one OPL3 copy in it. Um, so it's not an OPL3, but it's a copy. It sounds identical, though. The, in Reese's video, he's got he's cutting between the sound. I think it's Doom on the OPL3 and a real OPL3. And then in this, I, I genuinely can't see the difference. We can't see the difference. Of course you can't see the difference. You can't see the difference. You can't see the difference. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's an optional wavetable board in which Reese videos uh, covers and it does sound fantastic it's a credible alternative to getting a general midi device or an mt32 pi but if you want the full mt232 experience you would need to get the daughter board pc midi expansion for it which thanks to the global chip shortages is unavailable so if you wanted to get the the full mpu stuff that um, some of the games use then you need to get the to get that or run a little software program called soft mpu now, the big deal for me is that there's a separate MIDI port to the game port. I bought several of the breakout cables you can get on eBay that are supposed to let me use a joystick and MIDI at the same time. So if you want to play TIE Fighter or X-Wing and you want the great 
MIDI sound and you want to use a joystick, um, and for me, you need both of those, then you can't plug both those into a game port at the same time. So I bought these 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 cables that were supposedly do both, allow me to connect a joystick and a MIDI port, and they they're not they don't work. They're not wired up. They're only wired up for MIDI, so they're absolutely useless. Um, yeah. So this these cards thankfully get around that by having a MIDI port on them as well as a game port. So that means I won't have to get the soldering iron out and rewire all these cables myself. Now, Chris, are you going to get one of these cards? You think? Well, I'm tempted, actually. I am tempted. I did watch Reese's video as well. It's always interesting watching a video like that because, yes, you can hear a difference, but what am I hearing? I'm actually hearing the end result of, at the end of the line, what my TV is producing if I'm watching on my TV. Does that make sense? So I'm hearing the difference. Yeah. So what I heard in it, though, was there was a slight difference. It, it actually sounded a bit richer, um, a bit, yeah, on, on the on this new card. I'm glad you just mentioned that MIDI port because the more I've been learning about how cool stuff could have sounded if you plugged it into an external MIDI device, has always in my mind, it's almost like, don't want to ask the question because everybody will realize I don't know. Yeah, I, I have never thought about these things until now, but how could you plug a joystick into the MIDI port and an external MIDI device? So I'm glad you're looking into that kind of thing as well because for me you you still need a joystick you know I, i'm not playing x-wing without a joystick you could you could play x-wing with a mouse i think if you wanted to fail uh, yes i mean you that's couldn't right. do it yeah. i mean that's why i bought a joystick yeah. i don't even think tie fighter gave you the option to do it um but yeah the, the game port for all pc game ports people don't know i think they're are they 15 pins um yeah. whatever they are um i think it's two rows of pins and it's a shared port so it's got right. midi in and out and it's got the game, it's got the joystick port. So yeah, for some sense. reason, sound cards had all that compressed in there. So you could really connect one thing or the other, mm. or you could use some kind of pass through and you could get proper ones back in the day, but they're really rare now and really expensive. So um, the, the, the kind of 20 quid ones you get from China look as if they do the job. They've got all the right ports on them, but there's no connection for the joystick port <laughs> to the joystick through port on it. So it, they're just junk, they're useless. Not good. I ordered one the moment they went up on sale. Uh, I've got a few old PCs, and this is going into my Pentium 3 machine. So like you, I've got the Pentium uh, 3 machine. And it's actually, so it uses the, the, the AMD K62, which is that kind of era. It's actually fine for that. Um, for Windows 98 uh, gaming, it's great for that. Uh, and also, when you drop back to DOS, it's going to be good for that as well. Um but if you wanted to go kind of later into Windows 98 when you got EAX and things like that, I think that's when it gets start to left behind. Um, so there's links in the notes to Reese's write-up on Retro RGB and also to the video and to the project site if you want to get more information or if you want to order one. Dave, a simple question. Have you ever made a game? Uh, I tried, um, but I know why you're asking this question. <laughs> you're asking this question because you know I've not, and you know that you have, so you're boasting. Oh. As the whole thing of bringing up a topic is just for you to boast. Is that right? No, that's not right, because I think saying I've made a game is an overstatement of my achievements here, Dave. <laughs> but, you know, as mentioned several times, I think, in uh, previous episodes, I have made a silly little game in Shoot'em Up Construction Kit. Um, and I don't want to hark about that today, but what I do want to highlight is how hard it is to make anything, uh, and, and especially to make even the most simple game. Um, you've got to come up with an idea and a theme first of all and you've got to flesh that out in your head or on paper whatever however your process works 
And then you've got a, you know, um, so talking about obviously a vertical scrolling shooter here, because that's all you can do in a shoot 'em up construction kit. You've got to then, once you've established your theme, you've got to draw the background, you know, because the, the, the level maps are going to be made out of the background. And that has to be made of multiple tiles. Even if you wanted to go, you know, the easy way out and say it's a space shooter, you can't just do one tile of stars. You've got to have at least five tiles and then try and randomize them. Otherwise, you spot the pattern in the background and it looks rubbish. So a lot of work starts to pile up just there. What are the enemies going to look like? You've got to plan that. You've got to think about that. What's the player going to look like? You then got to go start drawing all the sprites. So you've started drawing the background. You've got to draw the sprites. Make sure you've got contrast so you can see one over the other. Um, depending on what sprite it is, if it's an enemy or even the main player, what does it look like from different angles? Does it change when you're turning left and right, up, down, that kind of thing? Same with the enemies. What do the bullets look like? Are the player bullets the same as the enemy bullets? Are they, you know, or are they different? Um, do you have bosses? how are the bosses formed because they're usually made up of multiple sprites what do the deaths look like are all the deaths the same are they all just a simple simple explosion or have you got different dissolves are those animated um is the the, the fire animated um you know in terms of the bullets and then you've got to draw each individual frame on each of those and when i say draw each individual frame i'm talking about pixel by pixel there's no simple copy and paste in something like this you know what i mean it's hard work it really is hard work then you've got to create your level maps your player parameters you've got to set the game rules um the enemy waves, you know, you've created your enemy sprites, you've set the rules for how those enemies behave, you've then got to place them in the map and decide where they go and where they shoot and put all that into play as well. Then you've got your testing, you will discover that some things don't work, so then you've got to play about with your values and replace things. It's a lot of work. So I reckon in, in the very simple game that I made, I easily put in 100 hours worth of work. That's a very rough estimation just based on my backup folders that I, that I created and the number of them that are there because I did a backup each se session. Um, so I reckon about 100 hours worth of work for a game that before it starts looping probably only lasts for five minutes. <laughs> I'm being quite frank here. So it's a lot of work, Dave just for a silly, fun little hobby game, you know, that's a vertical scrolling sh shooter. But this simple exercise has given me uh, a new appreciation for developers, or, or I'd say creators of, of anything, um, whether they're individuals or whether they're a team. And personally, if whether a game's your cup of tea or not, you know, kudos to whoever is pulling it off. Um, now, what I was meant to be segueing into... <laughs> is actually a story that was posted by Control Alt Reese. Um, but I don't want to cover it in full because I don't want to shine a spotlight onto the bad side of the internet, if I can put it that way. And I think Reese will understand why. So we, we will cover the topic in brief. But instead, what I want to really focus on first is let's have a look at the gameplay footage, the gameplay trailer that was dropped for Return to Monkey Island, because there's now a gameplay trailer that's been dropped, and we were made aware of it by Rocky1138. Uh, um, so, you know, if you're not familiar, obviously Ron Gilbert is the team lead um, from the original games. The art lead is Rex Crowley. Um, and Rex uh, worked on the artwork for Little Big Planet, which is one of the most unique and intriguing games uh, for the PS3 and PS4 era. One my, my boys absolutely loved um, Little Big Planet on the PS3. Um, just stunning, stunning looking games and so unlike anything else that was out there at the time. What do you reckon, Dave? Well, my initial thoughts were that I didn't like the art style. Mm -hmm. um, but the more I thought about it, 
the more I thought, well, what it should be. It shouldn't be 3D model, best-in-class stuff that we see in a AAA game. It shouldn't be the kind of where you can pick out individual pores and hairs in people's face. shouldn't be that. It could be pixel art, um, but it's worth remembering that when Monkey Island came out in EGA and then in VGA shortly afterwards, and then Monkey Island 2 came out, they were the pinnacle of art on the computer when they were made. That was the best you could do. It was better than anything else that came before it. Pixel art using dithering and other tricks and really clever things with animations and so on were the best thing you could do. The best going around, there was nothing better to do. So that was the peak. So going back to pixel art now, while I don't think it's a terrible idea, it wouldn't be a bad idea for this game, if they did it, it would not. It would absolutely not be the same as what it was in 1990. This would be them deliberately um, restraining themselves and going backwards rather than doing the best that they could. So you can't, they, they just can't do the same thing that they did in 1990. They can't use the, the best in computer art to do it. So I'm glad they didn't do a 3D perspective, uh, first person thing. I'm glad they did that. That, that can get in the bin. Um, and what they've done this time, I think is probably fine. As for the long face, though, I don't like Guybrush Horseface too much, though. Nay. Um, I've now seen the trailer a few times, and the art style is now fine. It's fine for me. Um, and it's fine because the trailer punches my nostalgia buttons hard. The first two Monkey games are my favourites in the series, and I'm not sorry at all that they've gone back to the end of Monkey Island 2 to write as a sequel to that. So what they have said is that this picks up from the end of Monkey Island 2, ignoring... The other games, uh, and ignoring, I think there's Telltale games as well. Um, even watching the gameplay, tra gameplay trailer, the, the little musical tinkle at the start of it gives me shivers. It, it really actually did. Uh, the voice acting will sit fine with me over time. Again, I'm used to it without voice acting. And of course, they, they couldn't do it without voice acting now. So of course, they've done it, and the voice acting is fine. And importantly, the music is there. Um, don't think you'll need an MP MT32 for it. Uh, you probably get away with just normal uh, computer music for this time. You don't need to buy an expensive sound card. And all through the gameplay trailer, all these characters kept reappearing little callbacks to the first two games. So I I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I think with everything there, it I'm really going to enjoy it. Now, as for the, the controversy, you, you said you didn't want to talk about it. I, I don't really want to talk about it either. Um, I'll mention it, though. It was the usual tiresome, tragic rubbish about leftists and woke culture. And I've just so little interest in reading about that. Um, internet nastiness, I'm no interest in it at all. It's so easy to get caught up in it and start replying to it and arguing and so on. But that's what the people making these personal attacks want. They want reactions. So the best advice is not to give it any oxygen. I've not really spent much effort into looking into what exactly was said. Um, I've seen a few screenshots with, of um, compilations of comments, um, and they are bad, and I'll take it for granted there was lots more bad stuff, but I just don't give it any attention. Um, if there is a, a, any kind of silver lining from it, then um, maybe I'll cut back on spoilers about the game if they're not going to talk about the game so much, and I, I don't like spoilers, so maybe that's a little bit of a silver lining, but all that internet nastiness stuff, who's got time for that?
Yeah, no, I agree. And the, I mean, that is the thing that we're, yeah, essentially what's happened is the developers have said they're not posting any more updates on the game, you know. So essentially the game will get released when it's done and, and that's that. And it is because of this sort of toxic environment. And, you know, we, we had a bit of a, you know, a frank chat before we started recording, didn't we, Dave? And you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we've both experienced it and, 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 you know, hand on heart, probably both been part of it in different areas. So, you know, my example was Star Wars. I'm not a particular fan of the Star Wars Disney trilogy. Love the spin off stuff, but I have been very critical online. Um, but my, my personal habit, and I tried to start at the beginning of this year, and I'm, I'm not doing it perfectly, but just whenever I make a comment about something, what I tend to do is before I hit return on any social media platform, I just look at my comment and I go, does this add anything to the world? And if it doesn't, do you know what? Delete. <laughs> Delete. And don't bother posting it because there's criticism and there's constructive criticism and then there's just attacks and and the, the three are, are very, very different. So, but anyway, you know, moving on about the game, <laughs> trying, let's not shine a spotlight on it, Dave, but I think we just did. But anyway, yeah, some of this stuff needs to be said. Um, it's all good. We're not going to read out the individual comments. No, so we're not going to. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, going back to the game, point and click adventures are not my thing, as I think the world knows now. Um, but I can see it in context, and it, it does look amazing. It is a, a sort of what I would call flat shade. Um, and flat shade. I don't know, it's got a bit of a bad rep simply because there's a lot of these sort of fake game ads going around on Facebook or there's the what they people refer to as Flash games. There's a technical reason why most stuff in Flash was flat shade and that's because it scaled better. And I, I, I would hazard a guess that this is to their technical advantage with this game as well. You have to be aware of multiple devices these days and yeah, allowing because things to scale up and down. Now. Yeah, yeah. It's not so, going to be VGA. It's not going to be three twenty by two hundred. And every time you play it, it's going to be in a wild range of different resolutions and aspect ratios. Yeah, that's right. so yeah, that's a good point. So, from a technical standpoint, flat shade is actually excellent. And flat shade was a designer's choice for 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 a long time, uh, not just for, from that technical standpoint as well, but because it's just a design choice. It's sort of cartoony, which I think fits. And I think you're right, Dave. You know, the originals were you know pixel art because that's all that was available at the time. And if they had access to these wonderfully high resolutions back then of course they would have used them this is how it would have looked so i think this is a great choice um it's a modern retro look it reminds you of the style you know of, of the previous games but moves it forward it actually reminds me of horizon chase which is i know that's a driving game so how am i linking these two but that's also sort of flat shade um you know they could have done that in up-to-date um, you know, texture mapped, ray traced, dare I say, um, you know, 3D graphics. But instead, even though it's 3D models, it's a it's a retro styled racer um, with it's it's been brought into the into the present, but not all the way. And it just works. You know, it still feels looks and feels retro, but it's actually a modern game. It's a fantastic game. You know, I love flight sims, and I, I guess there's another another example there. You know, revisiting things like F18 and F16 Combat Pilot on my Amiga is fun but of course if you play something like dcs which i have you know dabbled in all the gameplay elements are exactly the same you know you, you got to work out the controls of the aircraft how to take off how to land how to lock a target how to kill the target all the dogfighting maneuvers and everything not much has changed the physics have improved obviously but of course the graphics are different so i think you know talking about return to monkey island if the gameplay elements are there and more importantly the story elements and the character elements then you know just dragging harking you know back to the past in having a retro style but not dragging it all the way into the future although i do like the idea now dave you've got my mind thinking 
Return to Monkey Island, the first-person shooter. I want that to be a thing <laughs> with with ray tracing and everything. <laughs> that, You're going to get comments. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that would get me into the franchise. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But yeah, no, the, you know, this, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's the story continuing that's the hook for what I would call the real fans of the franchise. Um, you know, and the art style is irrelevant if you're actually a proper fan. So all I want to say on this, you know, to round up is to Ron, Rex, and the team, I would say, keep up the great work. You know, you can't keep all of the people happy all of the time, so don't even worry about trying. Happy birthday, Atari. The Atari brand is 50 years old today. and I say today, but because of the nature of the way this works, it was submitted after the birthday, it was looked at as after the birthday, recorded after the birthday, and then broadcast. So it'll be two weeks old. Um, for me, the big deal with Atari, though, is the Atari logo itself. It just shouts 80s at you. Oh, it's the, yes. the symbol for it, 80s gaming. So even back in the, the late 90s, I remember people with Atari logos in their T-shirts and thinking that was cool and retro. Um, but sadly, since then, Atari was bought by French company uh, Infrogrames, and then they actually changed the name to Atari's, and I've got nothing good to say about that at all. I just fight, wish Atari had just stopped existing, and I don't think I'm alone there. Modern Atari celebrated their 50th anniversary by selling loot boxes and NFTs. Oh. They've been involved in cryptocurrency and gambling, no. and I have to use some very Scottish expressions to explain how I really feel about them, but I won't. Um, the other big thing for me, which is no surprise, to anyone at all will be the Atari ST. The Atari ST was marketed as power without the price, and it certainly was. In 1985, when it was released the same year as the Amiga 1000, but at roughly half the price to get a package, it was amazingly powerful what you paid. And in 1986, the upgraded 1040 ST was the first one megabyte computer for under $1,000. It's a big deal. Um, my ST, which was what replaced my Amstrad CPC, was a, a huge leap forward. And it came with the power pack, which was a ridiculously good package of games, loads of top games. So I've got really happy memories of my Atari ST. Um, but in my view, it was maybe the last really good thing that the, the Atari did. They did come out with the STE and the Mega STE, which is my favourite um, my favorite ST, uh, which is sat next to me, but it's just really minor upgrades to the original ST. Um, but Atari were also juggernauts in the arcades. 720 Degrees, Gauntlet, Marble Madness, Indiana Jones, we mentioned some of those recently. But even before that with Pong, Centipede, Star Wars, Asteroids, Missile Command, Tempest, even licensed games as well. They didn't make like, things like Pole Position and so on. I could go on about the arcade. But to me, the, the earliest arcade games um, were Atari uh, before it turned into, I think Capcom is what picked up from Atari for me. Uh, but Atari's, Atari's arcade games. Um, but for you, Chris, I know that you have lots of love in your heart for the Atari ST because you know that without it, the Amiga 500 would not exist. Um, true, uh, but that's not why you love Atari. It's the earlier stuff, I think, that, that you love about Atari. Tell, your, tell the viewers about it. Yeah. Viewers, uh, listeners. Yeah, both. Delete as appropriate. Yes, delete as appropriate. If you're on the podcast, please delete the no. Um, but no, 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 you're absolutely right. You know that Atari logo just evokes so much emotion, even in myself. And even before I got back into this retro hobby, I was I was just setting that up as a background on my Windows PC just because I wanted to be drawn back to that time. It just screams gaming. Um, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred 
Um, for me, it, it, it turned Atari into a generic phrase. You didn't ask for a console when that was around. You asked for an Atari for Christmas. That's what we all did, myself included. Um, so this is right back at the start of my you know, gaming life. We ended up with a G7000, the Philips video pack. Um, but the fact remains, what I wanted was an Atari. Um, and we just saw them everywhere. You know, they're in the shops. They're at rich friends, what I would call rich friends' houses. They, they had them. It's the only place I got to play them. And we ended up with the Philips instead, which was a great system. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was the word on the tip of your tongue if you're asking for a console for Christmas. Um, personally, I'm happy with my flashback. I know that's going to annoy a lot of people, but simply because I didn't have an Atari. But I can see, you know, because the Atari 2600 was so popular, there's still mobs of them out there. So they're really not yeah. hard to pick up cheap, and, and the games as well. Um, so I, I probably will end up one, with one after you know all these years at long last. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to grab a, a 2600 or a 7800 because I do love the graphics on, on the few games that came out for the 7800. And especially, you mentioned pole position there. As soon as you just say pole position, I'm taken back to St. John's Swimming Centre, Tunbridge Wells, Kent. It's a sports centre. Um, the swimming pool. Kent, Australia. Diving board. No, Kent, Kent, England, because that's where I grew up. <laughs> and I'm taken back there on my head because upstairs there's a cafe, there's some windows overlooking um, the diving pool where we would watch people chicken out from jump, dumping off the high dive. And there was an Atari... Um, uh, pole position machine so we'd be eating our packets of monster munch and when you say pole position i can smell chlorine i can smell monster munch at the same time well, i'm not even funny. joking do you know what i mean <laughs> the, the one the one i the one i remember is in a beach bar in spain right yeah and ibiza uh, a little place called escana and yeah. the beach there there was a, a really great beach bar and they had a pole position nice and um it's funny how yeah, these memories that, come that, back isn't it yeah yeah, yeah, I love it. And it's it's, you know, it's down to Atari. And downstairs they had for a long time, they had Battlezone as well. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, but there, there are other things linked with the name Atari that we might not necessarily think about. You know, the DB9 port. So grab random joystick that is always on the desk here. This was an Atari patent. Uh, you know, we used it on the Commodore machines. We used it on the Amigas. We used it on the Spectrums. But that was a, a patent connector. Uh, 1977, I believe, according to Wiki that I looked up earlier today. Um, you know, no hiding from the fact that the, the ST, Dave, I did dismiss as a cheap Amiga copy. Uh, I'm being honest here. That was the lack of my knowledge back then. Um, and it's only in recent years that I've learned the truth, you know, <laughs> that uh, actually it's kind of the other way around, you know, is how it actually worked. Um, and then, you know, moving on from that, you've got the Atari Lynx, which is a fantastic machine, one I've never owned, but I, I would love one. And also the Atari Portfolio, if you want to look at their more serious devices as well. Um, great handheld devices, both of them. Um, and then when the PlayStation came out, and we've talked about this before, you know, I, I remember my sister, actually, uh, my eldest sister, she wanted to buy a console for my nephew. And the ones I was reading about in the magazine at the time, you know, uh, were the Atari Jaguar, the Sony PlayStation, blah, blah, blah. And my sister said, I'm thinking about getting him a PlayStation. I was like, no, no, not the PlayStation. Sony make hi-fis. They know nothing about gaming because in my mind, Atari couldn't go wrong because they were almost the genesis of gaming. That's how strong the branding was. So I bought the Jaguar. He ended up with a PlayStation for Christmas, and I don't want to talk about 
the rest of that bit of history. Um, <laughs> but but anyway, and look, they do still exist today, and I totally agree with you. I think it it sullies the name that they celebrated with NFTs and, and stuff like that. I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I thought that's, that's quite sad. But they did yeah, have sad a, as it ain't one for it. Yeah, it is. Um, and they tried to have a, have a stab at hotels, didn't they? Themed hotels. I don't know what they're doing. Um, yeah, casinos as well. Yeah. yeah. But but anyway, in in terms of the you know, they, they they did have a stab at a modern console, and and I, I watched its evolution, and I was quite. <laughs> now I'm becoming one of those people that criticise things on the internet, Dave. But um, I, I was quite saddened to see where it ended up. But, but it's a beautiful looking thing. So I'm talking about the modern VCS that that has the AMD chipset inside. It's essentially a PC in a very a gorgeously styled retro styled um you know console form factor that harks back very nicely to the original atari vcs with a modern slant on it with options for wireless controllers both in the sort of original style and as a game controller you know a more modern device it looks it looks gorgeous it was just underpowered i think for the price they were after you know if that if that ended up on the bargain shelf in my local shop i'd, I'd probably pick one up because i think it's a gorgeous looking device um but yeah, you know, DLC, um, NFTs, all of that. Let's not forget where gaming actually came from because all of that annoys me. But where did gaming actually come from? Well, it came from trying to entice us to put as many coins into an arcade machine as is possible. So none of this is actually yeah. new. But anyway, that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah. You can't, I mean, Gauntlet and Gauntlet 2 were what's called quarter munchers. Yeah. Or 10p yeah. gobblers. Yeah, um, they were designed just to get you to put more in. The games weren't necessarily fair in any way. Mm -hmm. So the Video Games Chronicle article is linked. It, it is a good little read. Um, happy birthday, Atari. But to me, maybe it should have stopped in the 90s. Dave, mate, if you have any free time on your hands, what do you do with it? I don't know, I'll tell you if it happens. Uh, right now I'm trying to sort out all my computers. I'm finally starting to get there with my CPC and Specky and GX4000 all connected up to the Amstrad monitor. They're all powered with a SCART switch. It works great. I've got these beautiful dust covers and my 15-year-old self would be disgusted and throw them out. But in my 40s, I love these dust covers. Um, my PCs are all connected up. They work and all connected up. Last, last night I disconnected them. Um, I've got work to do in all of them, but what happens is I never get any free time, but what happens is I get the urge to do a deep dive into a role-playing game or an adventure game or a strategy, and I just abandon everything else and let it wait. Yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. You get up to more than I do, I think. Um, I'll either, you know, I'll make a video because, you know, I do do that, um, or I'll spend half a day playing some games or catching up on my YouTube watch later list. It's funny how that, that becomes a chore sometimes. Um, but Or as I did this previous weekend, I'll move a pile of dirt in the garden from one spot to another spot that is just two feet away at the request of my wife. I don't ask questions. I just grab the shovel. I do as I'm told. And bury the bodies, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Bury the bodies. That's what it's about. Um, but I, I, think we're doing, I think we're doing life wrong, Dave, because there's a dev going by the name of uh, Mike Yildy. Um, well, I, I think he woke up bored one day and he said, what if you had a Windows 95 simulator for the Sega Genesis? Sorry, Mega Drive. Um, who, who, who does that? 
<laughs> I can't even make a stupid vertical scrolling shoot 'em up, and this guy's doing this. Um, anyway, essentially, it's a glorified chip tune player for the Mega Drive uh, that seems to have exploded into a full blown Windows 95 simulator. It looks like Windows 95. Uh, the guy's put his his mug, his face, uh, throughout the entire system in, in the form of various Easter eggs and, and logos with his face in them. Um, the whole thing is, is is both awesome and hilarious at the same time. You know, you've, you've got email in there. You've got a fake internet set up. Um, there are so many references to the era and mostly covered in a, in a great video, actually, by YouTuber Michael MJD. And shared with us by Guaygos, Guaygos, Guay, that guy. Um, and <laughs> have you had a look at this, Dave? What do you reckon? Yeah, I have. It is great. It's sort of a parody, but you can also tell it's been done with fondness too. It's not just mocking it. There's some really nice touches. There's lots of fun in it. Um, it's a news article. Microsoft unveils secure new browser. <laughs> There's also some great little history facts in it. The sort of milestones that happened talking about... Um, how Amazon are now going to do this and that and how someone sells a broken laser pointer on eBay, things like that. And everyone's favourite, Clippy, is there. Uh, there's even little office references. Um, I won't spoil it. Um, there's lots to discover. It, it's really worth a look. It, it's great. Um, it's very funny. Yeah, it it is cool. Um, there's even the 3D mazes in there, uh, but it's not as a screensaver. It's as an actual game, so you can actually. And I always wished I could do that in Windows 95. Actually, I could actually, you know, um, interact with the maze screensaver and actually find my way through it. But it was just a screensaver. It's now in there as a game. Um, you can drop back to DOS and and find access to various games of our DOS as well. Ambulance is in there. Um, there's also, and I absolutely love this when I saw um, it covered in the video, the love bug virus is in there. So when, when, you, when you check email, there's a love letter from a colleague with a VBS attachment, just like the love bug virus, one that caught many people out. Yep, definitely using the human factor to, to propagate the internet with that one. Uh, and like I said before, there's a fake internet with various news articles and references to the time, um, all with very tongue-in-cheek humor. It's it's so well done, like you said, Dave. Um, I have no idea why you'd want to spend free time creating such a beast, but you know what? That's my kind of humor. That is crazy stuff. Okay, so on to the community question of the week, which was, with the news that the MSX3 is on its way by the end of the year, we asked if you could gather... Uh, the original team behind your favorite system, computer or console, and ask them cr to create a new model in the same line, what would it be? And in fact, Duncan's actually given his answer in the in the uh, subreddit. So he said, I would like to see a 16-bit CPC. Uh, the Plus models were great 8-bit machines, but at the time of launch, they were never going to compete with the Amiga and ST. That's for uh, that or the AAA uh, Amigas uh, that we should uh, have had instead of the AGA machines. That's a good point. Obvious answers for any you know, of my given computer history, I suppose. So that's Duncan's response. Um, Dave, do you want to read the first community response? Yeah. So the first com uh, community response is from Protech438. He says, well, a team, although not the original team, kind of did create a new model in my favorite system, the Commodore 64, in the form of the Mega 65. The only downside is that it's way beyond my budget. Also, it, like the C128 and the unreleased C65 were their own systems offering the C64 compatibility on the side. 
Hence, I'd love to see an upscaled but architecturally compatible successor to the C64 with a VIC chip that offers new screen modes and enhanced color palette while being able to display the old ones, a similarly enhanced SID chip, 65816 based CPU, an enhanced BASIC with all the bells and whistles, while being natively able to run BASIC 2.0 code, appropriate amount of memory, SDIEC slash 1541 emulation combo, and support for USB and Atari compatible controllers. All this packed into a Commodore-style computer in keyboard case. I'd be quite content with that, but I suppose a GPIO header for the Raspberry Pi uh, wouldn't hurt. That's, that's an interesting the, Have you seen the response. Mega 65? I have, yeah, literally just this weekend. So that's a very interesting response. Because essentially what he's gone on to describe there is very close to what the Mega 65 kind of, kind of is. What, what struck me about the Mega 65, so where I saw it was at the Commodore Cave, which isn't a public exhibit. It's just one man's collection, um, Graham um, from the Perth Amiga Users Group. Wonderful guy, runs his own channel. Um, but it just looks like, a Commodore from the era. I can't even describe it. To see one in the flesh, you'd swear that this is the next thing Commodore came out with. It it just fits. It's so well done. It's got the floppy drive in it, and it's all FPGA-based, so you can load different cores as well. So, you know, yes, part of me is looking forward to things like the A500 Maxi or whatever case they decide to put it in. But when I was looking at this thing, I was thinking, well, I could just buy that and load an A1200 core with an O3O and job done. That That... It just fits. It, I could put it on this desk next to my A1200 or my A500 and it would not look out of place. It's a fantastic device. Can't describe um, the quality. Uh, you, you have to check it out in the flesh. Yes, it is expensive, but guess what? So is the original hardware. And the point of devices like that is, you know, they are they they don't replace it, but they're a modern equivalent that is not going to blow up in your face because of old leaky capacitors in two weeks' time. So, yeah. If you can stretch to it, highly recommend it. Anyway, let's let's move. yeah yeah go on. Sorry, yeah, Dave. Yeah, the, 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 on the cost thing, um, think things cost money. Um, yeah. And if you look back at how much a micro cost back in the day, it wasn't it wasn't a small purchase. It wasn't just a well, I'll have that and I'll have that and I'll have that. Yeah, you generally had one and uh, and you bought your place every few years. So hmm. these things are expensive. But if if the Commodore is your thing, then you have to save up for it, I guess. Yeah. Um, the the Spectrum Next, for example, uh, if you're a Spectrum fan, then yeah, you get on that. Um, I'm yeah, gutted I missed uh, out on the Next because that's another gorgeous. I've got one device. coming. I've got a Spectrum Next coming. This the issue two, which is really? uh, going to come next year. I think they've had so many problems with the uh, the FPGA, and I think they're having to having to spend a lot more money than what they were going to. Gosh. And talking back to to toxic stuff, I know some people had complained and were nasty about it, but. I mean, they've done all they could. I mean, they've done all they possibly device, could in the face, face of the pandemic. They could, they've um, they've been able to, to to finish off the project when perhaps they, the the things that were in their place would have stopped them. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, talking about the spectrum, the next one is from Shepo seventy one, and he says a sixteen bit ZX Spectrum. That would be interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think if we're going to talk about what what happened, it it, it depends on when they come out. I mean, there were there were platforms that were good, like the the, the Amstrad Plus or, or the GX platform was an eight bit platform that came out 
and it was great. I mean, it, it could com- it could almost compete with the 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 the, 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 the ST and the Amiga, but it came out far too late. It came out years after the ST and Amiga. So what was the point of it? it came out yeah. far too late. So if you had a, if these platforms come out, I guess they would have to come out at the right time. I mean, if you came out with the 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 ST and the Amiga became the sixteen bit machines in the UK. Um, they both came out in 1985, but they weren't affordable, and they weren't there wasn't the software market for them. So it took really to 1987, 1988 before you started to see them around. If you didn't have your 16-bit Spectrum out by then, then it, it, it wouldn't have competed. Um, yeah, that's true. So yeah, uh, yeah. They, they need to all, all these new things need the software as well. So they, they would need to you need to go back and tweak history to to adjust it. It's true. Um, yeah. The interesting thing about the next is, and I've seen them in the flesh as well. You look at the games. I actually assumed it was a sixteen bit, being the Spectrum next. The name sort of, to me, exuded the fact that it would have been beyond eight bit. But when somebody said to me, "No, it's still running eight bit," the graphics of that thing and the sound that thing's putting out is amazing. Yeah. I, I literally thought I was looking at yeah. the Spectrum equivalent to an yeah. Amiga. It's a fantastic machine. Yeah, I mean the the, the whole the whole eight bit and sixteen bit thing and uh, so on is a bit. A little bit baffling to me because I don't really understand coding. So mm. for me, an 8-bit machine is, is really bound by what it can actually do rather than how it, how it works internally. So yeah, um, the I know that the – what's the little console? The, the small little beige console. The PC Engine, that's it. Oh, yeah. The PC Engine, I think, is supposedly 8-bit, but it doesn't look 8-bit at all. I mean, it looks 16-bit. It came out in the 16-bit year as well. You reminded um, me. I, I, I There was a guy I looked up to back in the day, and I asked him that very question because I was into – how much memory did it have? That was the defining factor for me. And he tried to explain the difference between 16-bit, 32-bit, 8-bit, and I just couldn't take it in. But essentially, it's, it's how many bits can be moved around simultaneously rather than having to queue yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Do you know what the ST stands for? Stupid transistors. No, sorry. <laughs> what does it stand for? 1632. Oh, there, there go. we go. Yeah, cool. Yeah, because the... Uh, the Motorola 68000 is a 32-bit processor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But or it's just partly 32 But it's on a 16-bit bus. That's the problem. So it's on yeah. a 16 Same with the Amiga, the yeah. original Amiga. It's a 16-bit bus yeah. until we get into the AGA machines when it went 32. And the Falcon, I think, was full 32, wasn't it? The Atari Falcon? The Falcon, yeah. The Falcon yeah. was probably 60. I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. I'll get copies. We, 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 better, we better move on to the, uh, the last response. Can't we? Next week will be a list of yeah. Spectrum is 8-bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We said. just yeah. list them all. <laughs> yeah. um, and the Evercade doesn't – yes, it does play arcade games. Okay, so the, the last one is by Warshi7819. Uh, um, I'd like a Bill – I'd like Bill Hurd and whoever he needs to get back together and make a new C128, only new parts, uh, so that I have a replacement where my old one inevitably breaks. Yep, heart back to last week's story there. Um, if that uh, by accident incurs that it's more capable and can support new games as well, but being backwards compatible, then that's just an added bonus. Yep. I, th- I think... That backward compatibility thing, that that becomes a sticking point. I think that's probably what held things like the Amiga and the ST back back in the day. Yeah. 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 They, 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 the, the, even the the Spectrum um, didn't really come out with anything after this, the Spectrum. The, the Amstrad did a few new models, one with a disk drive, the, the Plus 3. The Amstrad came out with it. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Mini. Um, no, no, no. Uh, I've got the uh, Plus 3. Right, you probably can't see it. Under my... Oh, I've got my Plus 3 yeah, up there the as well. Uh, I like the Plus. For me, the Plus 3 is a real model, mm. the real, the, the best Spectrum for me, but um, I know it's not, it's not, it's nothing like a 48K. Um, I'm sure I'd had the GX and the Plus range, but they were just, they were backwards compatible and the new stuff, they didn't really, didn't really catch on. It was too late. Atari came out with the STE, which added a blitter and better sound capabilities to the ST. It brought it in line with the, the Amiga 500, more or mm. less, mm. but that didn't really catch on. Amiga came out with the, the AGA, which was watered down from what they intended to be, and it didn't really catch on. All you ended up with was color gradients. I agree. More parallax. Yeah. Um, the back, backwards compatibility thing, the mic was just couldn't quite get their head around it. Mm. Um, PCs were the only ones that really continued there. If I was going to get, if, if I was answering the question of the week, I don't know that I really want anything to come out. I mean, my, my Mega SE is an ST that you can run at 16 megahertz if you want to, or eight, so it's software selectable. And it's got a built-in hard disk, and that, that's good enough for me. I mean, that, that does, it plays all the ST games the way I want to. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I want I want, um, I want that uh, new improved ST or new improved CPC. I'm, I'm happy with what's there. Yeah, cool. Right, so this week's community question of the week is this week's question of the week. What are your favorite Atari memories? It could be anything. It could be anything about Atari. Whether it's a smell of monster munch from going swimming, whether it's the sand from the beach, whether it's the, the console you had, the Atari ST you had, whether it's stuff you've seen in games or, or whether it's stuff you've seen on film. What are your favorite Atari memories? Go to our subreddit and submit your um, your answers to the, the post there. And we'll read out the top three next week on This Week in Retro. Fantastic. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. Uh, do go to the subreddit and submit your story ideas because that's where we get everything from uh, for this show. It's all about you guys. And once again, massive congratulations to Nilly. Yes, nearly. <laughs> cool. Cheers, Dave. Actually, this week there's been there's been there's been loads of submissions this week. This 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 week there's been a huge amount of submissions compared to previous weeks. So thank you to everybody who's submitting these stories. Uh, it, it makes I think it makes this this podcast better. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Cool. Cheers, Dave. Thanks, Duncan. <laughs> Bye. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.